This is The Furnace with John Burton. All right, we have got to deal with an issue that honestly should have been dealt with years ago, decades ago. There is a massive crisis in the land regarding sexual sin, immorality. And I'm going to talk about that today, and I'm going to talk about that in connection with this hyper-grace, hyper-love movement that's really overtaking so much of the church today. There's radical, crazy confusion, which, you know, a few decades ago, it wouldn't have been the case. There's such a delusion that's settling in on people and a confusion that's settling in on so many in the church regarding the issue of forgiveness and restoration and the severity of sin. And, you know, we're living in a time when people are by choice, very intentionally refusing to focus on sin and holiness, uh, righteousness. They're refusing to because they don't want to kick into what they would call behavior modification. They don't want to have what they would call sin consciousness. And so what do they do? They ignore it and they focus, they just focus on God's love as if God's love alone is enough to cause people to live holy lives. Who came up with this nonsense? It's madness. God's love alone is not enough. You know, I've shared before, John Bevere visited Jim Baker of PTL fame in prison. And John asked Jim, you know, after after his, his great and very well-known failure, he's, he asked him, when did you stop loving God? And Jim Baker shocked John Bevere and he said, John, I've never, I never, never stopped loving God. I've loved God every moment of my life. And he said, what happened is I stopped fearing God. See, the love of God has never been, is not now, nor will ever be enough to keep us in alignment, to keep us calibrated with God and his mandates. It it sounds super romantic. It really does. And, you know, I've met a lot of people that are into this deeper revelation thing. And, And by the way, I guess I should say that I'm also into the deeper revelation thing. We want a deeper revelation of God's love. I believe we'll be going throughout eternity discovering new realms and layers and aspects and characteristics of God and, and his deep, deep love. But people today are, are putting all of their eggs in the basket of love, which is highly, not only inappropriate, but it's dangerous, ineffective. It's, uh, I believe it's foolishness and it's unbiblical. So the idea is that you just learn to love. I mean, we've, we've heard that. And we do. Again, you, you got to understand what I'm talking about. What they're saying is that we need to learn to love. Yes, we do. We need a deeper revelation of God. Yes, we do. But there's more to it than that. So what I'm saying right now is that a deeper revelation of love is insufficient in keeping us calibrated with God and His call on our lives and his mandates as revealed in scripture. It's just simply not enough. 
And this hyper-love movement that's out there is dangerous. It can really ship, shipwreck people. And couple that with the well-known hyper-grace movement that's out there. And you have a recipe for disaster. And it's unfolding before us right now. And so... So you, so people have this unbiblical and unrealistic belief system regarding hyper love that it doesn't really matter that much, you know, if they sin or what they do because, you know, they'll argue, well, you know, honestly, yeah, we're all sinners and we all sin every day and which no, we're not. No, we shouldn't. Uh, but they'll say that. Um, and, and, but God loves me anyway. His love is, is all consuming is it's, it's, it's deep. It's never ending. And, you know, I had to, uh, after several years of, um, having really cordial discussions on Facebook with a, with a, a friend who is, uh, universalist basically based on his belief system doesn't believe in uh eternal torment and this kind of stuff i had to finally yesterday after years um thank him for being uh extremely uh, civil every time that he's engaged in conversation and you know most people aren't so to his credit he has been he's been great he hasn't been a jerk he hasn't been um um you know, accusatory. He hasn't been that. He's been civil. He's been honoring. He's been, you know, uh, kind and nice and appropriate in his discussions uh, online. But his discussions, you know, his comments were always from the heretical universalist point of view. So I finally had to come to the point last night after all this time where I said, you know what? I appreciate it the way that you've handled yourself. But I'm going to have to ask you to stop commenting on my posts. And I could have just blocked him. I could have just unfriended him. I, I didn't want to do that. I do, I'll do that with other people that are nasty. But I just asked him politely to stop. Because he was trumpeting this unbiblical idea, really, of hyper love. That God, God's love, basically, is, it is the ultimate resolution no matter the situation, no matter what people do, no matter what's going on. When the reality is, is, is it's not. Our response to God's love, our, our response to love, our response to his love is the, is the, is the determining factor in our salvation and our position in Christ and where we will spend eternity. Sure. He loves. Absolutely. He loves. He does. But how are we going to respond to that? And so, so back to this, you know, this idea. And again, and listen, universalism is skyrocketing. I mean, people are diving into this like crazy. And hypergrace and hyperlove are both, um, uh, you know, kind of introductions to that. And people are falling deep, uh, deeper and deeper into deception that absolutely can cost them their eternity. And so, so 
regarding the issue of, of sexual sin specifically, I was in a conversation yesterday with somebody, a young person, and you know, and we were encouraging this young person, and but he was simple. I think he was from another nation, maybe I'm not sure, but um, he was he was making some pretty bold comments that he can't find a moral righteous Christian girl and they just don't exist. And so he has no choice but to have premarital sex because that they're all going to want that. And that's his only hope of finding a girl is if he goes ahead and does that. And he understands that he probably shouldn't do that, but really what choice does he have, you know, is what he was saying. And, um, and you know, and God will forgive. He'll just he'll forgive. It's all good. It's all cool. And I'm thinking, what? Who's he listening to? And the answer is, he, he could be anybody. Because very few are hitting on this these issues. And the and you know, and people say, well, all sin's the same. It doesn't matter if you maybe maybe you gossip, or you have or you commit adultery. It doesn't matter. You're you're, you're you're so biblically illiterate if you believe that. Come on, people. You're wrong. It's wrong. All sin is not the same. Not anywhere near the same. And, I mean, the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, definitely not the same. You can't be forgiven from that one. Right? There, there are, there are uh, uh, sins that are not unto death. There's a whole thing to wrestle with. There's sexual sin that's very very different you know we it's a sin against your own body for one but then we see all that we see the the requirements for for those in leadership and we see we see in first uh, Corinthians where it talks about if 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 somebody's in sexual sin then you're not even supposed to eat with them you're supposed to purge them from among you turn them over to Satan and, and understand, God does this because of love, to protect others and also for the sake of that person waking up and getting right. You know, and, and so, boy, man, sexual sin is, is, is a big deal. And so this, this hyper-grace thing where hyper-grace says, you're forgiven, you don't even need to confess, you don't need to repent, you're forgiven past, present, and future, which is, which is found nowhere in Scripture. I did a podcast the other day on, on hyper-grace, the heresy of hyper-grace, pick up on that, listen to it. But that's found nowhere in Scripture. It's completely untrue. It's an invented, man-made theology, philosophy, it's wrong. and But people are buying into it by the millions. And so now they think, well, it's no big deal. Whatever sin I commit is is resolved. It's already resolved. It's taken care of. I'm covered. I'm, I'm already forgiven. I don't even need to talk about it. No, don't need to confess it. You know, so, so now you've got this, this heretical hyper grace thing, you know, married to this really off the rails hyper love thing. And then it makes it super easy to just embrace anybody, no matter what their lifestyle is like. If they sin, whatever. Let's 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 come together in love and just rally around them and see them restored. And let and 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 that's it. And there's no severity. There's no process. There's no there's no weeping. There's no brokenness. There's no you know, uh, deep repentance. There's, you know, where's the time given that, that necessary, you know, and now I, you know, I was at 
I was under the influence of the anointing of three particular ministers. I was at Jimmy Swaggart's confession in Baton Rouge in 1988. I, I ministered often uh, in prayer meetings and different events like that with Ted Haggard. Uh, you know, we didn't speak together at conferences or things like, or, or anything like that. He was um, he was in a whole other realm back in those days, and and and. But I, I was so honored to be able to be in prayer meetings and to lead prayer meetings with him and, and to help launch a prayer movement with him, and it was awesome. And and I, his anointing was insane. Jimmy Swaggart's anointing, I mean, incredible. You felt it. I was on the platform in a private meeting with Todd Bentley. My wife and I were private, just us and him. And, you know, after, after in Lakeland, after 10,000 people were heading home, you know, there we were, we were with him, felt his anointing. And so you can't affirm someone's ministry because of their anointing. You know, gifts, the gifts of God are without repentance. And I've, I've discovered that I think for the sake of people under their, under their leadership and, or under their influence, God will allow an, an anointing to remain in someone's life even uh, for a while after they've been involved in really horrendous immorality. I mean, I don't know how all that works. All, that, all I know is all three of them, I felt, I felt, experienced their anointing after, you know, I learned later, it was after they had already fallen. And so now, speaking of Todd Bentley, here he is again. Jeremiah Johnson came out with a very good, very sobering, very direct, um, uh, very long uh, um, message dealing directly with the current accusations against Todd Bentley. I want you to go find that. Jeremiah Johnson, he's based out of Lakeland, Florida. You can go uh, onto his uh, Facebook or I'm not sure exactly where to find it. Um, I'm friends with him on Facebook. I saw it there, but certainly it'll it'll get get out there. But um, he, he just released that and I believe it was today. So read that. Read it all. And it's difficult because he deals with um, he deals with Rick Joyner, and he's actually separating away from Rick Joyner um, and Morningstar Ministries if Rick doesn't deal rightly with this. I mean, this is, and, and this is public now. That's why I'm I'm talking about it. Um, and, and so this is a this is a big deal. This is a big moment. Um, I I shared with a, 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 a prophetic friend of mine. Um, and I, and I said, I said, before his letter came out, we weren't sure how Jeremiah was going to respond. And I said, I believe this is going to be a turning point in Jeremiah's ministry, how he handles this. And I thank God that he handled it brilliantly. I mean, brilliantly. A lot of people are going to disagree with him. I don't. Because of the issue of sexual immorality. And... Right now, the world is going to look and see how we respond to these accusations, uh, you know, about Todd. And I think the church has missed it. 
by presuming that the world is watching and they simply want to see us act lovingly to him. That's what, that's what the world thinks. That's what we think the world thinks. So, so what we're doing, we're, what the church tends to do is, because the world is watching, we're going to be ultra-loving. And how that translates, because we have a misunderstanding of what love really looks like, is it translate into being permissive, into being casual, into being to being uh, 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 kind of just fist bumping the the situation. It's all going to be okay. It's all right, you know. And and we love you, and it's all good, and it's all cool. And so we think that's the world. What the world wants us to see. I, I don't think that's the case. I think the case. I, I think the I, th- I think this is the case that the world wants to see the church get a backbone. And we are preaching, some of us, preaching against immorality and unholiness and unrighteousness. And they want to see us shake off the hypocrisy and actually stand up for what we believe and hold one of our own accountable. That's what they want to see. They want to see true love in action, I believe it, even if they might not say it. I believe the Holy Spirit will do something in their, in their spirits when they watch the church respond in a new kind of love. A love that is not sappy. A love that is not syrupy. A love that is not permissive. A, lo- a love that doesn't ignore, doesn't sweep stuff under the carpet. A love that is direct. A love that is corrective. A love that protects the people a love that that takes action. They're looking for that. I believe they are. Absolutely believe they are. And so, so we see with Todd, and I'm not going to get into all the details with Todd. That's 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 not um, my the point of this particular podcast. But I will say this: being involved in 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 predatory behavior. It is beyond words, and it should be beyond obvious, that action must be taken. And, you know, I'm, I'm wrecked by this. I mean, I really am. And, and you know, almost with, with, without words. But... This has been going on for so long with him. So long. You know, and I believe it's quite possible he shouldn't have been ministering at all since his previous 2008 or whatever year that was failure. I just, there's so, there's so much that disqualifies and and listen I I really am all for restoration I really am I just I'm you know I'm older now I'm 50 years old and I've you know I've changed my perspective a little bit because you know back in the back when I was younger I was very idealistic and I really truly believed that people would fall I'm speaking of ministers specifically 
and then they would legitimately repent. They really would. I, I just thought it would by almost by default that that's what would happen. They would repent, and in my view, my view was, man, if they're they're legitimately repenting here, guys. You know, we don't want to to shut them down forever. Let's let's see God restore them back into ministry. And I still believe that way for those who legitimately repent and go through a legitimate process. I believe that. But after all of these years, now I can't know someone's heart, but I can I can see fruit. After all of these years, I I don't I don't know. This is just my viewpoint. I'm not saying it isn't happening. You got to understand. For me, I don't know that I have seen true weeping, bro. I mean, legit weeping. Not, I got caught, so I'm going to weep like Jimmy Swagger did back in '88. I mean, brokenness, weeping, the fear of the the fear of the Lord. I don't know that I've seen that. I'm not. I don't know that I've seen the 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 brokenness. I I don't know that I've seen the the despair. The the or just just that. I don't mean despair as if you're hopeless. I mean just that that emotional crushing feeling. The 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 weight of the matter. I don't know that I've ever seen it. I just don't know. And. Because I think ministry is very addictive, and I and I and I think it's really easy to do everything you know that you know, quote unquote, you're supposed to do in order to get back into ministry. But I, I just have a feeling that someone who legitimately, truly fails, and then really responds rightly, really has a contrite heart, really, really is is just devastated for the damage that they've caused and and they're not that interested in getting back into ministry they they actually acknowledge that they are not in any way in a position personally to minister you know someone that actually takes themselves out for 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 maybe a few years you know when Jimmy Swaggart fell uh, and I and I and I still struggle with this. I, I really do. When he fell, the uh, his authority, the way it was set up in the Assembly of God, his authority gave him a three-month penalty. Basically, he couldn't preach for three months. Then the the na- the National Assembly of God got involved, which, as far as I understand, that was inappropriate. It was ba- outside of their guidelines, outside of their bylaws. Outside of their government, they they really shouldn't have done that. I could be mistaken, but I think that's correct. So they got involved and they said, no, one year, one year without preaching. And so Jimmy Swagger didn't preach. He got close. He got really close. Um, And he'd be on that platform and he'd he'd say things and do things, but he'd never actually preach. It's kind of funny. And, uh, but he did. He waited the three months and... People are coming out against him for defying his authority. So I defended Jimmy Swagger, you know, way back in the day as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. And because, in my opinion, he did submit to authority. But now, all these years later, I think it's much more than a 
a right versus wrong, black versus right, who do I submit to kind of thing. I think it was something to where that guy needed to take himself off the platform. You know, and I'll never forget, I would, before it came out, I think it was my, maybe the week before it came out of his, of his failure, of his sin, I was sitting in a pastoral ministries class and someone asked a question of the, the pastor, um, Jim Rentz was his name, the pastor of the uh, local church there where Jimmy Swaggart was based, and said, hey, d- uh, Brother David Wilkerson prophesied that Jimmy Swaggart needed to take, uh, I think he said a year off, I think that's what he said, take a year off, he needs to take, he, he needs a sabbatical. And, and Jim Rentz said, you know, we love Brother David Wilkerson, he's a good friend of ours, but we have to respectfully disagree because if Jimmy Swagger takes a sabbatical, then the ministry is going to fall apart. And it wasn't long after that, I don't know, it might have been a week. I'll never forget it, walking into the dorms and there all the TVs are on and Jimmy Swagger's face is all over the news and it came out. And it was right after that we had another question and answer session in that class. Someone said, now with the current revelation of what happened would you agree with brother David Wilkerson that he should have taken a sabbatical and he said he said I don't know exactly what he said to be honest but he 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 affirmed he affirmed he's like well I'll tell you this this sheds a whole lot of light on the situation now or something like that but he he agreed that there was definitely something to it and I think we've made an idol out of ministry, guys. We have. But this false love, this hyper grace monster, this two-headed monster is devastating the church and it's devastating lives and it's sending people to hell. And something has to be done about it. Um, so, a lot to unpack here. A lot to think about. Um... We need to take sin way more seriously than we do. If you're sinning every day, you have a sin problem. You have a problem. The grace of God empowers you to be able to say no to sin every time. And I understand sanctification, and we're growing, and absolutely. And, there's, and, and God is long-suffering, and He's there to help us and to nurture us. And, but we have to be very active in that process. And to get casual to the point where we simply say, in a cavalier way, well, I just sin every day. Or I can have sex with a girl, and God will forgive me. It's not that big of a deal. Or, or I can fail in ministry, and I can repent, and then kick right back into ministry. Something has to change. Um, I believe God's judgment is is causing this change. I believe that's what's happening right now. So, there you go. Leave some comments. Shoot me an email. However that works for you. Um, I'll probably write an article on this. I, I may attach this podcast to that article. But uh, um, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or wherever, you don't know where to leave a comment, just go to Burton.tv and you can uh, shoot me an email from there. All right? I'd love to hear what, uh, hear from you, hear what you have to say. Yeah, this is a big, intense, sobering topic that has to be talked about. All right, talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Furnace with John Burton. 
You can access media, read articles, and partner with the ministry online at burton.tv. And by all means, share this podcast with those who are hungry for revival, reformation, and revolution.